Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're in front of a giant pane of glass mm-hmm. at Ignite in Orlando. And behind us is Atlanta. And that's and not Atlanta. true, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. You have to walk to Atlanta if you go to the West Concourse, <laughs> that's, right? That's, that's the joke, right? Really up to you. I do know yeah, we're yeah. going to Universal Studios tonight. We are. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that's going to be some good fun. It's going to be fun. Hey, uh, Damian Brady and Donovan Brown are here. We're going to be talking DevOps with them in just a few minutes. But first, we have this little piece of business called... Better know a framework. Roll that crazy music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, uh, I, I don't have anything today. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you have something you want to share. I have a story about a product that everybody here has except for you. Right. It's the Asus 169B Plus Portable Monitor. And it's USB 3 powered. Power. Exactly. So this is a 15-inch... 1080p IPS monitor weighs yeah. about a pound. Right. Its case is also its stand, mm. and it has a USB cable that both the signal and the power. I've plugged it into my Surface Book, been using it for ages. Yeah. So you know how much I fly. Yeah. So I get off the plane on Saturday here in Orlando. Mm. Can't get the screen secondary screen to work. Books working fine. Can't get the screen to work. I'm like, Ouch. I I just I'm so upset. I just go to bed. Because yeah. one monitor, I can't live with one monitor. <laughs> yeah. The next day, I start. I try to get it to work in the morning. I get annoyed. I'm like, okay, clearly I've cooked it with another gamma ray. It happens to me all the time. I cook phones. <laughs> I get laptops. It's very normal, right? Like that's that just what happens. I'm waiting to turn into the Bruce Banner. It hasn't happened yet. So I go on to Amazon and I overnight order a replacement. Not a big deal. It's going to be there on Monday. By Sunday afternoon, I'm so annoyed working on one screen. I just do a hard reboot of the machine. Secondary monitor comes up. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, I guess I have two. And you, you can plug in two, but you make people angry because now you're really wide, right? But, like, the, but the real thing here is you were hibernating or sleeping or yeah, something, they, and you, you know, didn't do an actual reboot. Win 10 on laptops especially doesn't actually shut down. Like yeah. It's a lie, right? Yeah. And by default, it only goes into hibernate mode. And something had gotten cranky with the drivers. And when I shut off the hibernate mode, it really shut down and came back up. Yeah. Everything was fine. So then I had this extra mm. monitor. So uh, earlier this week, interviewing uh, Donovan Brown on the Run As show, and he, I was admiring my secondary monitor, which I adore <laughs> a lot. And he said, where can I pick one up? Because he just wants to get one. Like, he wants satisfaction right now. And it's yes. Like, I can uh, pretty, I pretty much one. tell you the rest of the story, and I haven't even heard it yeah. yet. <laughs> so uh, he, I said, well, you can order one from Amazon. And he's like, ah, oh, it takes too long for me. I said, well, I happen to have a spare. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you do. <laughs> and so, yeah, he bought it from me. So now he has one. And Damien, you got one, I don't yeah. know, was it a year ago? Just after you, just after I was on the show before right what is this wondrous device you <laughs> yeah. Have? yeah so yeah. i've been spreading the the secondary monitor love that's pretty cool that's and, my better know and is there does it work through a hub or do you have to plug it directly in to your laptop or, or does it work better through a hub because there's more it'll power? work either way it all depends on your laptop you it does draw a full amp off oh. the USB port. Okay. So if you have a cheater USB port that's doing less than an amp, like a half an amp, it won't work properly. You just see it cycle. Yeah. And I've seen that happen. And then that USB hub will help because mm. it'll like, you can actually power that hub to power that thing. Right. Uh, I have, you need a hub if I'm going to run two. 
Yeah. But one on my book worked just fine. Neat. All That's right. cool. Great story. Yeah. And I guess I got to get one now. Yeah. Sorry, awesome. honey. Just, just to be in the cool club. <laughs> That's in, inexpensive, about $200. Oh, not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Awesome. So who's talking to us today, Richard? Grab the comment off of show 1436, the one we did with Jez Humble and Nicole Forsgren mm-hmm. talking about DevOps Illuminati mm-hmm. on the DevOps Readiness Assessment. That's the DORA is the organization they work with. Yeah. They're helping regular companies get into DevOps practices in yeah, a big yeah. way. This comment comes from Jacob Daniels, who said, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately, how essential software is to every business. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to go to Microsoft's Build Conference last week, this is a few months ago, and there was one thing that Sack and Adela said during the first day's keynote speech that has really been sticking with me. He described software as the most malleable of resources that we have. Hmm. It's true. And I think that your research really backs that up, talking about Dora. Software is software, whatever shape it takes. Creating good software is a process, dare I say a craft, that is independent of the shape you're hammering your code into. Your accounting application code isn't magic. Your magic unicorn startups code isn't special, and neither is the line of business app or the game or the C that's driving your embedded system. Without good DevOps providing quantitative data that you need to drive your decisions, you're making qualitative judgments about your software and how you should be building it. You probably shouldn't be calling it engineering. (laughs) Don't make stuff up. Work from facts. Yeah. Uh, I got no argument with that, Jacob. Uh, we're all on board. Right? Mm-hmm. We like hypotheses and measurements of everything. I actually think that it it helps us all be on the same side of the problem as opposed to people speculating and yeah. owning a problem right or wrong and then we get a more adversarial relationship. And let's face it, speculating on anything is generally not a good idea. Yeah, it has issues. There's no two ways yeah. about it. So, Jacob, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We resell them on the dark net. <laughs> At a loss. <laughs> For Bitcoin. <laughs> we pay them to take them away. Uh, okay, well, Damian Brady. Hi. Hi. Donovan Brown. Hi. Hello. How are you? You guys are both DevOpsy at Microsoft. We are. We'll leave it at that. But yeah. you, you guys are on a new team now, right? We're on a team that I was given the privilege to build. Right. So, so it's your fault. It is. It is. <laughs> it's more my privilege. I, I still can't believe I was able to build the team that I was able to build. Hmm. I sent out a few private DMs on Twitter thinking that nothing would come of it. And next thing I know, I had the dream team. So I'm really awesome. Proud. Yeah, it's Stephen Moraski, Abel Wang, Damien, and myself. Yeah, we Excellent. call them Donovan's Ninja Army, I think. Yeah, yeah. DevOps Ninja Army. <laughs> yeah, some people are calling us the uh, what is it, the League of Extraordinary Cloud DevOps Advocates. So it's, uh, yeah, that <laughs> one's that been sticking acronym? pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a kind of a long hashtag, but we're title. working with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Service pack one. So what's new? <laughs> what are you guys here talking about? Um, obviously, I was I was in the keynote with Scott, and we were just talking about how we're bringing DevOps to the IT pro. Yeah. Uh, historically and I'm guilty of this as well, we talk about DevOps, but we kind of lean a little bit more towards the dev than the ops, and and it seems unfair. Mm. And what we've been trying to do is take the power of something like Visual Studio Team Services and putting it into the hands of the IT pro as well. No longer do they have to wait on the dev to set up CI or the dev to set up CD. Hmm. The IT pro can say, you know what? I know you want to deploy it into this web app. I'm tired of waiting on you guys. I'm going to push the button from here, and I'm going to go back into your VSTS and set up CI and CD for you. 
and it really is as easy as pushing buttons these days. It it's was, not yeah, like it, it used to be. No, it's it's pretty simple. You basically say, "Where do you want me to grab the code from?" If they're already using VSTS, it'll do that. If you're doing something open source, we can pull it directly from GitHub, so we don't care where your source code is living. And the next thing you need to tell it is, "What language are you programming in?" Because gone are the days where it's just .NET on Windows. I mean, this is yeah. the new Microsoft. I always joke that this is not your daddy's Microsoft. Mm-hmm. This is a Microsoft that understands Node and Python and PHP and Go. And mm. you throw out a language, we understand it. And we can run it in Azure, both on Linux and on Windows. So once you tell us the language, you literally push OK and sit back and relax. And the next time a developer commits code, that code automatically gets deployed into Azure. I guess I'm wondering what the intercept point is then. It's it's as the dev pushes up a, a build essentially to a to a package point, or is just checking in code, you would pick a you you would uh, encourage IT to get a CI process starting from there, presumably to test. Yeah, or, there's there's any number of environments in which they could deploy it sure. into. Very mm-hmm. few people are mature enough to deploy straight to production. Mm-hmm. There's a few of them out though. Those are true. But is that a worthy goal? I kind of like having a staging ground. I think it all, it all depends on the software in which you're developing. Sure. Right. So for some organizations, going straight to production is the best way for them to stay competitive and relevant. Mm-hmm. Other environments need to have that kind of staged deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do so in VSTS as well. There's several different rings as we call them that the code goes through as it becomes more and more available to everyone so i think it's on a case-by-case basis i would not recommend as your first foray into devops to go straight to production (laughs) i I mean i like i've certainly worked on high high scaling e-commerce websites where we have a very deep testing bed that could run a whole weekend Mm -hmm. but utilizing the cloud we broke the workload down set up like a hundred instances of the test site and ran all the tests in parallel. And writing those scripts was really fun. No, uh, it and it only made sense with the cloud because you don't want to own that much gear. <laughs> You're correct. But it was mm. for us, it was getting the entire test cycle down to 15 minutes. Right. So that we could, the, the main goal being when the dev checked in code, typically the next thing that happens is they stand up, declare themselves a god, and go get coffee. God <laughs> requires coffee. And while they're getting coffee, we run the, la- the full set of tests. So by the time they get back from coffee, all of their errors are sitting in front of them. Right. <laughs> all that technical debt that they produce. The, and yeah, the point yeah, yeah. being, before they can start thinking about something else, while that stuff's still in their head, mm-hmm. our concerns are presented to them. Exactly. And I, I, for, for me, sitting in that straddle space between management and operations around software, I felt very empowered to be able to do all of that for the developers so that they could actually be way more productive. Like far fewer problems got into production when we shortened up that test cycle to 50 Yeah, minutes. and during the keynote, I called the IT pros the guardians of our pipeline sure. because mm. they have a responsibility to pay there. I mean, they've always protected our infrastructure for us, and they've made sure it scaled and it was performant, yeah. but their job doesn't start and end there. I and mean, They have responsibilities far left of that scenario, and that's why I want them intimately involved in our entire DevOps pipeline, think of things as configuration as code and infrastructure as code. Those are assets that they produce that are being utilized well within that pipeline. So I don't want them to feel like DevOps is all about the dev and then we're going to still throw this hot potato over to you. It's not that way. We're right. actually, we need your input way early on. We need to let you know what future updates are coming so that the infrastructure is already there to support it. And we're not playing catch up over these new features. So it really needs to be... But are you finding a lot of cases where development is resistant to a CI/CD pipeline? Like, I, I haven't. Like. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't, and I believe that CI gives you instant value. 
even if it doesn't run test, mm -hmm. it gives you instant value by simply attempting to compile the code. Right. We've all mm -hmm. been on a team where one of your developers checked in a broken piece of code. Yep. And we all did a get latest, and now we're all cursing that person because mm -hmm. we can't compile. Everybody's broken. Exactly. And yeah. now we have to wait on that person to go fix the build, check in the fix, then we can do a get latest and get back to work. So, and the, so is there is an idea then that you have to have all the tests pass before all the unit tests pass? You can mature into that, yeah. right? So at time zero, and I tell everyone, don't go ask permission to go set up a CI system. It's yeah. your job to go set up a CI yeah, yeah. system. And it, and it doesn't impact anyone else in your team. There could be 50 developers working on the same team. Mm. And if I go back tomorrow and say, you know what, I'm going to set up a CI system. None of the other 49 developers even have to know that I did it. Right. Mm -hmm. Their daily access and their daily activities are exactly the same. Yeah. However, I, as Donovan Brown, can now look at the CI build, and when Carl breaks the build, I'm the I one will. guy who keeps working <laughs> because my server told me he just broke the build. Don't do a get latest. Yeah. Right. Right. And and I immediately benefit from having this, and yeah. everyone else is going to start monitoring that CI status, wondering sure. how is Donovan still working? Oh well, I was yeah, watching yeah. the status of our CI build. I didn't yeah. know we had a CI build. This is awesome. And then you just start adding your unit testing yeah, yeah. and you start building it out afterwards. Sure. And, you know, increasing your code coverage because that's essentially that's what happens, right? All the tests sure. that you have run fine. Right. But you only yeah. got, you know, 10% code coverage. Sure, so, sure, sure. Yeah. Whatever it may be. And whatever breaks, you write the test first, now have it fail so it wouldn't build again. Yeah, yeah. Then go fix the problem. Yeah, yeah TDD. Yeah. Reg and regrain refactor to make yeah. sure you're not... You, you know, fixing the build and it's not going to happen again. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really the mentality of, of you can only break the build a particular way once. Yeah, yeah. you should. Then you have to come up with a new way to break it. <laughs> yeah, we we value creativity. <laughs> so exactly. Finding new exactly. ways to break the build. And you're talking about code coverage and there's a lot of cool tools out there that don't punish you for having low levels of code coverage up front. If you're mm -hmm. familiar with things like SonarCube, mm -hmm. SonarCube actually has a gate that says all future code must be a certain percent code coverage. So mm. you might only be at 2% code coverage and right. you want to be at 80% in the future. What you can actually tell SonarCube is every new piece of code better be 80% code coverage, even though we're not going to punish you for the fact that you're only at 2% everywhere else. Right. And our integration with SonarCube and VSTS is so good that if that gate fails in SonarCube, we'll break your build down Stop. in VSTS. They right. will fail it and say, and actually, the reason I know is because I put that gate in place. And this is cool. <laughs> and I bit myself in the butt when I was in a hurry, <laughs> checked in some code. I'm like, crap, I had to go back in and write yeah. the test. But it, it forced me to do the right thing, which is awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a big fan of code coverage too, to make sure that we're practicing what we preach, right? We want to yeah. make sure that everything that we write is covered in code. I mean, covered with tests to make sure it's high quality. Yeah. So. Theory, you write the test first, but in practice, it's hard. Work that it's way. hard. Yeah. No, I mean, test-driven development is brilliant. It's hard, and, yeah. and a lot of us aren't in the habit of doing that. I think it's easier when you really don't know what to build. Like when you're looking at a problem and sort of wrestling around with it, tinkering with tests make a lot of sense. But often, we immediately get a vision of what we want to do, and yep. you just want to write that, yep. and mm -hmm. then you try and cover it with unit tests afterwards. Right, right. and I've and I've noticed that even. I call it being test aware. Right. Mm -hmm. Knowing that I'm going to go back and write tests for this code. Mm -hmm. Actually has me write code differently sure. than I would if I had never... Because I've looked at code I've written two decades ago. And I'm like, man, getting in every nook and cranny of this code is going to be horrible. Right. If I had known I was going to have to write unit tests for it, I would have never have written it like this. Right. And test-driven development is... A lot of people think it's a testing methodology. It's not. It's a design pattern. Right. right? If you really look at it the right way, the code that you write using test-driven development is drastically different than the code you would have written had you done what you and I just described. Yeah. Write the code first. Right? Because you write it the easiest possible way, which doesn't necessarily mean it's easy to test. Well, in right. a perfect world, it's more granular than what you just sit down and write one long function. You'd break that up into Absolutely. smaller, 
more concise reasonable Yeah, your cyclomatic complexity is going to exactly. go down. All, all sorts of things are going to be yeah. better. I think I'm going to call that test guilt, not test aware. <laughs> oh, no, I like that. I like that. It's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to put my IT hat on a little bit here as sure. well, because often when I've been working with an organization that is trying to get some DevOps practices up and rolling, the devs are all over the CI, CD stack. Arguably, that's the first thing that shows up. But when operations is really looking around for what should we be doing, it's instrumentation that seems to be uniquely in the purview of operations, their ability mm -hmm. to understand what's going on inside of an application in production. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a big piece. What do you think about that? Well, it's it's interesting, actually. And this kind of the comment that was uh, that was on the blog mm -hmm. just before about um, you know, instrumentation, making sure that that feeds back into, into what's happening. Right. If we're going to do this hypothesis-driven approach to software, how do exactly. we know when we succeeded? Yeah, exactly. I was speaking to uh, Martin Woodward earlier, um, PM for VSTS team. He, yeah. um, he was talking about how the VSTS team has changed their the, uh, definition of done, basically. Right. And so the, when it started, you know, definition of done was I've um, done the code, the test pass, and that's, that's it. Right. Like that was the original... Uh, point. It's got to the point now where the definition of done for a feature is not even just that it's in production. It's it's in production and telemetry is telling us that the reason we put this feature in has been Right. The customer is using it. It's the yeah. customer is using it. threshold. Yeah. I've mm -hmm. looked at that as when to throw the party. Yeah. We, we yes. talked about this. Yeah. We did this on a video yeah. one yeah. time. We talked about this before. Because it was so, once upon a time as a dev, we threw a party as soon as the build worked, yeah. right? And we told IT, hey, have a good time deploying that. We're getting beers. Yeah, it's code frozen, man. We just had a code frozen <laughs> That's it. party. And we, know, and we know, right? But we have this old phrase, this old joke that software projects are never done. They're just abandoned. Yeah. But the, reason, <laughs> the sentiment behind that statement is we don't really know, you know, what, you know, we don't know if there are going to be bugs five years from now if some weird thing happens, right? Mm. But now we do. Yeah. yeah. For well, sure. we're going to actually so. see it. Yeah, and I do appreciate that. The side effect of getting that party right, like getting it to the point where you know the customer is using it and happy with it, mm. means when you throw a party, everybody gets to go. Yeah. yeah like it's sure. a real win. It's a business win at that right. point. It's no longer yeah. a dev win or an operations win. It's a business win. Yeah, because yeah. everyone's role in that process has been achieved at that point. There's nothing left to do. Yeah. Uh, the ops team has been engaged. But to your, your original question about the ops team being saddled with the monitoring and the telemetry, right. a lot of that stuff has to be put in by the dev as well. There's mm. coordination there for that mm -hmm. because a lot of that telemetry just doesn't show up. It right. has to be put into the code itself. That, so there needs to be a coordination between what is it that you're looking for? What are we concerned about? Where do I need to go ahead and put in that telemetry so that you can then collect it and review it? But I believe it extends beyond that too because of the infrastructure's code and configuration is code. Yep. I expect that to be written by my ops team and incorporated into my CI CD, not necessarily by the dev. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that that's kind of the purview of the the operations team as well. Like that becomes part of an ownership problem too. Like sure. if I if I'm the developer who wrote this feature, I don't want I don't want it to just be somebody else who notices that that feature is not implemented the right way or right. not being used. Like I need the ownership of of the stuff that I wrote all the way through to production. And yeah. same with operations. If they can help with that um, telemetry and that monitoring of what's going on. You know, if if a if an ops person comes back to me and says, "Hey, this change that you just made." which I can see, it was this work item, it was this piece of work, that's actually hurting our performance. It's hammering the CPU every now and then. Right. Let's work together to work out what yeah. this problem is. Mm -hmm. that, that ownership end-to-end -end as a team rather than 
you know, this is my job and that's your job. Correct. Well, and what I like about the telemetry yeah. approach is that it's no longer the opinion of someone yeah. Correct. Yeah. saying this yeah. isn't working. Right. It's like, Correct. this is what the machine is telling Correct. me. Yeah. What do you think? Right. Like, you know, we're all on the same side of the problem when we have good telemetry. Yeah. As opposed to we wait until that memory leak tips the machine over, it reboots, customers use, lose a bunch of work, and now I have nasty grams coming and in for tech support. Right. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, and so now it's easy to blame the operator that was using the software when yeah. it tipped over. They did something wrong. Sure. It's, you're far more removed from the actual problem the further down that pipe you get. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah, and, and at Microsoft, we define DevOps as the union of people, process, and products to right. enable continuous delivery of value right. to our end users. And you can't just assume you delivered value. Right. You have to measure something to prove that you delivered value. Did the response times go down? Did the simultaneous users go up? I mean, how did you measure that you actually delivered value? Right. And that's and that again. That I think takes input from both the ops team and the developer because the ops teams might be looking at response times, but I might have to put some telemetry to say, did they use the feature at all or not? Right. Because right? if they didn't, well, use and the if you talk about value, I think business value. So I really want some business guys there saying, what's the metric? We show the board. What's the metric that we shows that we're making money or exactly. we're being useful? Mm -hmm. You know, what what is that? What does value look like from a business perspective? Correct. And the culture perspective, right? The business culture improves. Everybody instead of the devs all hanging out together and having lunch together, right? And the IT people and you know getting jealous at the devs because they always have the parties. Yeah. We all have the party, right? And it improves the whole culture. As yeah. a it team. makes the team work as a team, right? Yeah. Instead of several different teams. And I think when I, we were talking about this in a different show is that. When I've had my teams actually gel, that's when there are no more finger pointing. There is yeah. no more Donovan's fault or Damien's right. fault. It's like, how do we help Donovan succeed? Because when he succeeds, we all succeed. It's, yeah. it's really coming together and having everyone's back and not just saying, like you said, throwing it over the wall and then waiting the point to finger at them when yep. something bad happens. Yeah, yeah. compiled on my machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we don't listen. We're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, hang on for one second while we just take a few minutes for a word from our sponsors. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at JetBrains. Hey, how often do you profile memory usage in your .NET apps? What if you could automate memory usage checks so that they're executed every time you commit a change? You can actually do that with .MemoryUnit from JetBrains. .MemoryUnit is a free unit testing framework for monitoring .NET memory usage. You write unit tests that check your code for all kinds of memory issues, and then run the tests on your machine or in a continuous integration server like TeamCity or VSTS, just like you do with regular unit tests. You can track how much memory is allocated, check memory for objects of a specific type to prevent memory leaks, or compare several memory snapshots in a unit test to see if memory usage is creeping up. Learn more and download .memoryunit from jetbrains.netrocks.com or just search for a package called .memoryunit on the NuGet gallery. And we're back. You're listening to and watching .NET Rocks. This is uh, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here with Damian Brady, Donovan Brown, talking about DevOps for everyone mm. and uh, how the, the whole cycle goes around and improves itself constantly in every way, in all three ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the show that I referenced in the comment uh, with Jez Humble and, and Nicole Forrestry, sure. One of the conversation points has been uh, horses versus unicorns. Yeah, we talked about <laughs> right? that too. Yeah. That yeah. that. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard that line. It's like, hey, I know that works for Netflix because that's Netflix. Right. My business, I don't, I, we, we don't have the people. We don't have the resources. Like, I, I don't know how we get to there. Right. right. And I, I tweeted at someone today. They were saying, so 
I know I shouldn't right click and publish, but I have this really small project and shouldn't it be okay for that? I'm thinking there's no project too small to do it right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So you can set up a CI CD pipeline for the Hello World app that you're playing with right now. Yeah. And if you get used to doing that, I, always, I remember my coach used to always tell me, you play how you practice. Right. Right. So if you cut corners when you're doing it by yourself, you're going to mm -hmm. cut corners when you're doing it professionally as well. So mm -hmm. I always lay down DevOps best practices, no matter how small the project that I'm working on. So don't use that they're a unicorn, they're special. No, I mean, and the tools have gotten so easy to use now that right. anyone can do this. You don't have to be a Netflix to set up continuous delivery sure. into your into Well, your and you already own them. You're not going out you and do. buying them. Most special. of them, yeah, yeah most yeah. of them do. And, and there's a, amazing open source tools for, well, I, I could put free, right? You didn't pay a dollar for them, but there's a cost to that. But mm. you understand it's still, it's not this really huge investment of, of revenue or, or money to get you started in DevOps. So mm. do it right. There's no, there's no excuse not to do it right. Sure. You, you said that, um, yeah, there's no project that's too small to worry, like that it's not to worth do it doing right. your stuff to yeah. do it right. Yeah. I'd, I'd say the flip side's true as well. Like there's no, there's no project or no organization that's too big that it's not worth doing this stuff. True. Right. I mean, there's a lot of places you, you speak to um, devs or ops people in these companies and they'll say, we can't do it because we have all of these regulations and we mm -hmm. have these gigantic yeah. legacy systems or we have all of this kind of stuff. That that might mean it's a little bit harder, but, you know, their competitors are doing it. Yep. Um, you know, you, you get on board and you start doing this properly. If you can oh, argue it with the money, yeah. then you've got them, right? Yeah. If you can say yeah. this affects our bottom line, right. mm -hmm. how fast we can go. Yeah, and, and, it, and it does because you're going to automate the stuff that used to take you days and weeks and even hours to do. Right. is now happening automatically. Just take for the you. errors out. Well, exactly. Error out of the Just operation. one broke it deploy. Yeah, I, I've told this story on the show ages ago, but it was uh, again e-commerce, which has been my experience where we had the marketing. We were a typical agile organization that was putting out uh, a version of the website every twelve weeks, sixteen weeks. Now, coming from doing that once a year, we felt pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that was that was a good place to be. But marketing wanted to test A/B test ads every day, and so we built them a little CMS system off the side of the e-commerce site so that they could inject new ads on a regular basis. And about once a month, they take the whole site down. Oh, gotcha! <laughs> because they were circumventing the entire testing process. I see. You know, mm -hmm. they were cheating effectively. You were mm -hmm. trying to keep them in a box. And the yeah. you know the root cause analysis after they would do that is be more careful next time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you sort of get to the reality of we should just have a build process that builds four times a day. Right. And may, admittedly, most of the time, the only thing going through that are the ads being tested, and sometimes it's code. Sure. But there's no reason you can't build four times a day. It doesn't sure. necessarily mean that there's a lot of code going in. Mm. But the the moment for us was acknowledging that a new ad is code. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right? Just sure. not, not lying about it. Right. That's reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I was interesting because when I saw the title that it was DevOps for everyone, I interpreted that kind of differently because mm -hmm. here at Microsoft, we're for any language and any platform. Sure. So I, I immediately went to the language perspective. I see what you're saying. It's like for everyone in your organization, yeah, which is yeah. obviously true yeah. as well. We wanted the marketing team to be part of the DevOps exactly. site, which everybody thought was completely crazy until <laughs> you admitted that the ads were code. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, well, you guys are injecting code several times a day. Yeah. Right. And you need to be governed by the exact same, same policies set of rules. And exact as everyone else yeah. as well. Yeah. No, one, no one is above the rules when you're doing it correctly. And we don't want them to be. Right? No, like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Those rules are there for a reason. They're they're there to protect us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And whenever you try to cheat 
you're, that's risk that we don't have to have, right. right? To your point, that pipeline that's deploying your code should be so efficient that it doesn't matter if it's a code change or if it's an ad or if it's a database it's migration, it should all just run through the exact same pipeline. Do you guys have any uh, metrics in terms of adoption of CI/CD and how it has gotten uh, wider, more widespread? Because, I mean, you, it's like every time we talk to you guys, it's sort of like we feel like we're you know, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, it's, we're making it so easy. Look, all I got to do is press a button. There's no excuse, right? So, so it's awareness. Any, yeah. Awareness is the problem. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've done a presentation, gotten off stage, and someone says, I had no idea Microsoft could do that. Yeah. Like, how did you not know this? Right. Yeah, like, yeah. how, how, yeah. I feel like I've failed a part. It's always bittersweet when I hear that. It's bitter because you should have known that we could do this, but it's yeah. sweet because at least I told you now and yeah. now you know that we can do this stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I really do think it's just an awareness. And it's also the fact that we just simply do not like change as human beings. We don't like change. Right. And I haven't been using CI for 30 years. Nobody has. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. In this organization. <laughs> so, and my paychecks still keep coming and yeah. I don't see any. My quality of life seems okay. They don't even know how good it could be, yeah. mm-hmm. right? They don't know that they could have their nights and their weekends back if they did something as simple as continuous integration because they've never been aware of it. So to me, it's an, it's an awareness that we have to make people aware that by checking this box in TFS yeah, yeah, yeah. or VSTS, you will start to get instant value for absolutely no effort whatsoever. But and have you seen any metrics in terms of I, I don't have any metrics, but I could probably get you some. Yeah, right? so you probably feel that, like I do, that becoming more widespread oh absolutely uh, absolutely without question i think that's why I, I, I think sam who says devops is the second decade of agile yeah and, yep. and the thing is, is that we're getting really good at the building of software but we're not really good at the deployment of software mm-hmm. yeah. and the building of software includes continuous integration so a lot of people have already figured that out right, right. so we got our source control figured out yep. we have our ci figured out but now we have this package and we can't seem to get the package into production yeah. and that's why all of a sudden we're all focusing on automation and deployment and all these new solutions are popping up yeah. so i i don't find many companies who don't have ci in place yeah, I me, have me too. tons of companies who don't have CD in place. Yeah. Right. right, and that's what we're yeah. facing. And then there's even more who don't have the telemetry and the monitoring. Oh yeah, that's that even kind of, yeah, it's that's even kind further of the down next, the line. The next. Yeah. Well, and I actually think the telemetry conversation is really broad in the sense that I mean, there's a lot of instrumentation. I'm thinking about stuff like App Insights. Yep. It just happens automatically. Mm-hmm. And .NET's remarkably easy to instrument because of this intermediate layer com- compilation where sure. yeah. where automated tools and I'm thinking of the new relics and mm-hmm. preemptive analytics yeah. of the world the developer doesn't have to read you don't actually have to write anything. any code for that right yeah. Yeah. Yep. but it is an interesting conversation to have with an operations person and a dev about well what measurements matter mm-hmm. what do I need to see mm-hmm. to actually have a sense of the health of software the most success I've ever had with that was inserting a senior developer into an operations team on a weekend hmm. of high load where gotcha. we were probably going to go down at some point. Wow. Gotcha. Just because, <laughs> you know, the one skill they cannot use in that scenario is writing any code. Right. And there's nothing more fun than watching a developer in a crisis not allowed to write code. <laughs> not so smug <laughs> now. Doesn't sound, yeah. Yeah. doesn't sound fun at all. But at the same yeah. time, they see the code differently than the operations people do. <laughs> yeah. So they have different insights, sort of sense of what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, invariably at the end of that weekend the reaction is we need better instrumentation mm. we need more insight into what's going on in the software right. when it's in crisis right and it, we begin to talk about dashboards mm-hmm. which my laugh has always been when an ops guy and a dev show up at a, at, a, at a business guy's desk on the same side of a problem 
everybody's scared. It's like, oh my, they agree. <laughs> and we really want this as in the next sprint as an yeah. important feature. And it's typically a dashboard. It's right. some internal measurements about what's going on in the software. Yeah. Even just putting the dev in the team with the ops people and yeah. vice versa, that can, yeah, that can make huge changes in an organization. Just perception, right? right? Just, they suddenly see things differently. Yeah. And I mean, an awareness that you're on the same team, right? Yep. You're trying to, you're trying to solve the same problems. Well, they have that moment where you realize that job's hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Strange Loop was the company with that, uh, the startup I had years ago where we were making network appliances. And once a quarter, one of our devs would spend the quarter with the system engineers in the field installing the appliance. Oh, wow. And every time they came back, they're like, wow, that's a really hard job. Right. right. It's just not a small thing. And what did they invariably want to do? They wanted to add features to help the C, the, the CSEs see what's going on in the environment they're working in. And I think that goes back to your ownership you've mentioned a couple of times too, because yeah. on the VSTS team as an example, the dev's job isn't over when they hand it over to the ops team to deploy. Sure. That, that It's not over. If their feature goes down in production, that engineer gets woken up. Right. And they have to get on that bridge and solve that problem. Yeah. And that, that brings together that ownership and they feel the pain immediately that right. the ops that team because yeah. yeah, eventually I mean historically the operations team would be trying to fight this fire and put it out and maintain and mitigate everything and the dev is asleep at home yeah right that's and an old Adrian Cockcroft line from when he was at Netflix he said when we started waking up the devs at 3 a.m we had a lot fewer calls at 3 a.m <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly yeah. because they start to take ownership on the quality of the software because I want to sleep through the night if yeah. that yeah. means adding in do. some telemetry if that means adding in a new feature validating something a little bit more aggressively than I did before so right. that I can sleep at night that code's going in but when someone else is paying that consequence that code may never get written true hey richard yeah buddy guess what time it is now must be that happy time again yeah that's right it's time to replace everybody's unicorn juice with freshly squeezed horse juice Ooh. okay what that wasn't good maybe some ice oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> a little bourbon water mine yeah. down <laughs> something like that it's actually time to give a d experience subscription from our friends at developer express to one lucky member of the dotnet rocks fan club Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid. Built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux and stuff like that. Sports master details, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. And you can check it out on GitHub for free. Well, learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Matthew Horvath. Congratulations, Matthew. Matthew Horvath just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you've never heard of that before, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 shopping spree to one wow. lucky member selected at random. Wow. But you got to sign up to win. We like to ask our guests too. You guys have both answered this question before. But uh, here it is. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Donovan? That's, that's a 
That's a tough one. I, I, you already I, got I, your I, monitor. Yeah, because yeah, I already have my monitor, and I, and I, and I said HoloLens last time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's an easy three grand. Yeah, for sure. I, actually, I don't know, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, this time I'm stumped. I have everything that I want. Buy a bunch of Raspberry Pis. And or maybe I'll buy school. a whole bunch of these monitors, and I'll really piss off a lot of people in the airplane. There you go. Get a big yeah, USB yeah. hub. Exactly. Now I have like a 13 monitors monitor on my laptop. Laptop. Exactly. And get some double-sided Velcro taping. and Just, just stick them all over the backs of the chairs. Exactly. That yep. sounds like fun. How about <laughs> you? Uh, so I, as part of this new job, Cloud Developer Advocates, we get mm -hmm. to do all of this cool stuff. We go to Ignite, we do all of this kind of work. Mm -hmm. So today, earlier today, I was recording a whole bunch of interviews with the product teams yeah. mm -hmm. with new toys of like video cameras and yeah. lav mics and stuff. I, I was like, Donovan pointed out, I look like a kid in a candy store setting up all this yeah, yeah, yeah. The tripods <laughs> and stuff like that. So I want, I want that stuff that I own, I think. Right. So yeah. that's an easy five grand. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. an easy five grand. D yeah. A decent, like 50D or, uh, or an XC10 camera. Yep. A couple yep. of wireless labs, an H6. Yep. That's, know. that's what or you can buy I, I one just, lens. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I just built a green screen in one of my, yeah. in my rooms in my home. And again, we have all the lights. Yeah. And nice. It's just, it's amazing that what it takes to, Produce a decent green screen. Yep. So. Yeah, but I've already owned it. So you're, you're asking for something we already. I just gave you that. Yeah, so no, you know, that. <laughs> maybe a drone to carry. There you go. There you go. Good DJI with the so follow. Yeah, right. yeah, perfect. All right. Easily burn through that money. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. No problem. I hope that the winner does something like a drone, like fairly consistently every time we've given away. It's been a, it's been a dev developer. Dev rig. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Sometimes laptop, sometimes desktop. Uh, there was maybe one, a little VR thing. Yeah. There was a VR set once. There was. One of every uh, phone. Yeah, you a, that? A, a diverse mobile <laughs> development kit. And like, wow. When you got five grand to spend, you can get a few different <laughs> one, devices. You know, we have Xamarin test cloud for that. Man. Yeah, Save yeah, that five yeah. grand and we go spend the money somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get one new iPhone, could you? Yep. Maybe five grand? Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what's new in the deployment world that you guys are talking about here? Well, we're just doing a lot more when it comes around containers and making sure that deploying the containers. Our, our team's website is running in Kubernetes, mm -hmm. and the fact that we can actually deploy a new version of our app with one task yeah. into our entire cluster is just insane. When yeah. I set that up one day, I was just when I was done, I was thinking, I can't be done. But then I, I made a change, and I saw it in production. I'm like, it can't be this easy. So I made another change. Like, something has to break. And next thing I know, every change I made was just ending up in our cluster in Kubernetes. Wow. Like, wow. this is so freaking easy. So yeah. we're continuing to make sure that we reduce all the friction that we can mm. from VSTS and Azure. It needs to be the one-two punch. You're making you. more powerful buttons. Yeah, it, it yeah. is incredible. I mean, that, now, yeah, our so pipeline is so simple, it's almost underwhelming. Yeah. You push those containers down to the developers. So the developers are now building their version of the code from a set of containers. Yeah, so Damon, is, you can talk about that, how we use window, Docker for Windows on our dev machines for mm -hmm. our containers too. Yeah, so the, the actual, I mean, even just in Visual Studio, you make changes to the code, you press F5, and that spins up a Docker container, and it's right. running exactly the same thing that would be running in production. But mm -hmm. it's an array of containers, right? Like, don't you have something that simulates your database? You can, you can, exactly. Backend yeah. services, that right. kind of thing. Our database runs in Azure, right? So we have a SQL Azure. Our right. database is in, in a container itself. Yeah, yeah. But then you, so you have a shared test database for we all actually the developers? Have a, all the developers actually spin up an instance of the database on their local machine because we're just changing yeah. a connection okay. string. So what ends up happening is you have local DB running yeah. and your container spins up and yeah. connects to your local DB. Yeah. Right. Then when we push that into our CI CD pipeline, that connection string gets swapped out for the one that points to the Azure DB, right. and then we push our, our image into the registry, it gets pulled down to our Kubernetes cluster. So to us, it's just F5, yeah, and right. all, the, all the magic <laughs> happens in the DevOps pipeline, which is the way it should be. Right? Sure, so sure. dev local like you normally would, 
check in your code and the magic happens so that it gets deployed into production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, one of the things I'd really like to see is a bit more like database as a service. That right. Cosmos DB mm -hmm. stuff yeah. is amazing. Like, yeah, sure. And if you have your, like if you're using containers so you can scale out really quickly, mm -hmm. um, the Cosmos stuff can can do the same. Absolutely. Like, yeah, very elastic on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, I like, we did this with VMs before containers were a thing sure. in the Windows yeah. world where you ended up running two or three, you know, you're using 64 gig desktop sure. machines mm. because you're running three or four Hyper-V instances so that you have a self-contained environment to develop against. Sure. And maybe you're working on a mid-tier component, but you still want something to simulate the client and the other side components, but without having to depend on anybody else. It's just, seems a lot less painful with containers because they're smaller and lighter. Absolutely. So the amount of resources that you need to simulate three or four microservices isn't three or four VMs running right. all with eight gigs of RAM apiece yeah. Yeah. because they all get to utilize a lot of the same infrastructure. Luckily, our app right now is very simple, but mm -hmm. if we needed to use Compose to compose up three or four services at once, they could all run on pretty much any laptop that we need mm -hmm. and be able to slice up the resources that we have to make us be able to just to like develop four and five web services all at the same time. And I'm, I'm really keen to have developers be building their software in an environment as close to production as Absolutely. possible. Mm. Yeah. There's a whole class of errors that happen Absolutely. when the rules are different mm -hmm. from dev to QA to production. And images fix all that. Docker fixes. Yeah. Like it's just like if the image works here, the image will work anywhere. Right. It's just yeah. amazing. And if, it, and if it doesn't, it's because it's different in the images, and you can find it. Yes. Like there's yeah. no voodoo. No, it's not at all. Hidden. Not at all. Once you bless the image, the image is good. Mm. Why Kubernetes? Uh, Kubernetes. Honestly, there's there's three orchestrators out there that are pretty right. popular, right? DCOS, and there and then there's Swarm, and then there's Kubernetes. Right. And when I got time for us to move to an orchestrator. If you search for Docker Orchestrator, the number one hit is Kubernetes. So right. I thought, okay, let me just go see what all this fuss is about. Yeah. And it seems like it's just won the war. Right? Mm, the battle of the orchestrators seems to have been won by Kubernetes. And so, it's open source. And it's easy to use. Yeah. It, it was surprisingly easy to set up and use. Hmm. I, I was shocked because using Azure Container Service, I was able to spin up a cluster and put Kubernetes on top. And the rest of it was just hmm. so freaking easy. Yeah. I still can't believe how easy it is to do. And was it in VSTS, there's one task, there's a yeah. Kubernetes task. Uh, so you, you go VSTS in your release pipeline, or, or even your build pipeline if you want, but your release pipeline, add a new task, type in KUB, and there's Kubernetes. It's right. native, like, yeah. out of the box. You point, right. at your, point at your registry and... And that could be Kubernetes in your on-premises servers, or that could be Kubernetes... In it has no idea where it is. Azure yeah. Yeah, it has no idea where it is, Doesn't because matter. the way you connect is you're going to have your kube config, Right, and that tells you basically your search where you need to go and what your URL is. Mm -hmm. URL could be in your own data center in Azure, anywhere you want. Our right. cast doesn't care. It's so, any language, any platform. So we have a few more minutes left. Um, tell us where people can go to see you doing your magic on stage. <laughs> uh, well, so we were mentioning the website. Yeah. Um, so it was a LOECDA, so League of Extraordinary Cloud DevOps Advocates. <laughs> you can remember that, right? <laughs> so um, LOECDA.com. Uh, there's actually like a list of all of the events that the whole team's at. Mm -hmm. um, Twitter is easy to get hold of us sure. um, at Donovan Brown and at Demo Visa. Um, we're at a whole bunch of stuff. I think next week we're at Tech Bash yes. in Pennsylvania yeah. in uh, the the water park there. Kalahari, Kalahari, Poconos, Yep, which should be yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, and you get a heart shaped bubble tub. So that's very nice. cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm going to uh, I'm going to DC for the government cloud conference, and then you're going somewhere right after. Yeah, that I'm in Winnipeg uh, oh. for Prairie DevCon Deliver, and then Tech 
Days, Netherlands, straight Very after good. that. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah we're, we're all over. And I'm going to South America for two weeks with uh, with James Montemagno. We're doing a tour down there mm-hmm. on mobile. So, yeah, we're... If you want to go see someone in the league speak, there's no shortage of opportunities. We're, right, we're yeah. all over the world. And Abel's running over to Budapest. Uh, Steve Moraski just got back from London. I mean, so if you go to the Talks website, it's an international chance to see us wow. speak. Yep. Oh, that's great. And I think I'll be at a... Do you have intersection? Do you have intersection? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, in Vegas? Maybe. I yeah, I was I, wanting I to go there, too. It yeah, overlapped something else sure. already. You got to me yeah. too late, man. You got yeah. to me fast. Uh, <laughs> we'll get you there. All right, man. And then, of course, there's the Connect event in November. Oh, I will definitely yeah. be there. Yeah, yeah I've already, they've literally already blocked my calendar two weeks ago for yeah, me to yeah. be at the next You're doing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can't there. miss it. That uh, New York show is huge. Yeah, we'll, awesome. we'll be there for that. Perfect. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Donovan Brown, Damian Brady. Give him a big round of support. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a